episode number 554 with Dan Millman. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. A warrior does not give up what he loves. He finds the love in what he does. It's from the way of the peaceful warrior. Welcome to today's episode. I'm super pumped. Guys, we are less than one week away from the launch of the Mask of Masculinity book. That's right. One of the biggest, most anticipated books of the year, at least in my mind, is coming out. And if you haven't pre-ordered it yet, make sure to go to maskofmasculinity.com. Pre-order a copy or a few copies, and there are a number of different bonuses over there. So go grab your copy at maskofmasculinity.com. And also make sure you're following me on Instagram because every day I'm posting about what's happening, who I'm doing interviews with, the press, the media, all the people I'm meeting who are loving and reading the book. It's been crazy what people have been saying about the book. I'm so pumped. And also the tour that I'm going on. So I'm going to be in New York City. I'm going to be in LA, Chicago, Charlotte, San Diego. So make sure to follow me on Instagram at Lewis House and be prepared to come hang out at one of the book stops. And we might be doing more later. So always be tuned into my social media to see where I'm going next. But today, We've got Dan Millman, who is a former world champion gymnast, coach, martial arts teacher, and college professor, and he's the author of 17 published books in 29 languages shared across the world and generations to millions of readers, and his classic work, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, was adapted into a film in 2006, which is one of my favorite films. Now, he speaks worldwide to people from all walks of life, and his newest book is called The Hidden School which is a missing piece of his best-selling book, The Peaceful Warrior Story. And I'm super pumped about this. This is one of my most favorite recent episodes because, gosh, I just love when we get into like a philosophical, spiritual conversation and make it practical as well and bring it back to the things that are happening in our daily lives that a lot of people can relate to. For instance... One of the things we talk about early on are why we are so triggered by the people we love the most and how to navigate that. Man, that's an interesting thing. Also, how daily life is a form of spiritual weight training. Yes, spiritual weight training. How to behave when we're feeling afraid and scared. Also, why there are no ordinary moments and the definition of faith. Guys, I'm pumped. If you are listening right now and you're on your podcast app, take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram, lewishouse.com slash 554 is the link to send people to the show notes and the full video over on YouTube. This is a powerful one, so make sure to share it out and tag me at lewishouse. Let me know what your thoughts are about this. Also, the fan of the week is from Joe who is from Ohio, it looks like. So Joe, who says, really inspiring. I've been listening for a while. Caught the episode with Jefferson Bethke. Really, really loved it. 
The content spoke to the heart. And if you're looking for a show that will challenge the status quo and push you to an inspired next step into greatness, then you have found the right podcast. So Joe, thank you so much for leaving your review over on iTunes. You are the fan of the week. And if you guys want a chance to be shouted out on the podcast, just head over to the podcast app on your phone or go to iTunes and you can leave a review right there. So thank you again, Joe, and make sure to leave your review for a chance to get shouted out. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. We've got the legendary Dan Millman in the house. Good to see you, sir. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Lewis. Very excited. We've been catching up about uh, our similar paths, you know, as an athlete uh, who had big egos and got brought back down to life with injuries. Uh, I was telling you about uh, how The Peaceful Warrior was very impactful in my life. So thank you for writing that book and for, you know, the, uh, I'm more of a, a movie watcher. So the movie was inspiring for me. Um, and you've just been on an amazing journey for so many years. You've helped so many people. So thank you for all the work you've done and what you continue to do. And um, you've been, you got the new book out called The yes. Hidden School, The yes. Return of the Peaceful Warrior. Uh, so for those who don't have it yet, make sure you guys go pick up this book, The Hidden School. And why The Hidden School? Why The Return of the Peaceful Warrior? Is that not enough already for people to to have The Peaceful Warrior? You need The Hidden School as well? Lewis, I'd have to say my life has been more like improvisational comedy than strategic planning. <laughs> right. I know there are people who plan their lives and you know plan the work, work the plan, uh-huh. that sort of thing. But it's been a, a strange journey, uh, like The Grateful Dead, a long, strange trip. Um, I wrote this book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, in 1980. Uh, It came out in paper and started reaching a lot of people through other people. Did it take off right away or did it take some time? Oh, it's got its own story. In fact, the book died. Uh, When it came out, it was subtitled A Basically True Story. And the bookstores didn't know where to put it. I didn't give it the subtitle. The editor thought it would be clever. But the bookstores didn't know what shelf to put it on, so the bookstores didn't take any copies. Mm. And so the book went out of print almost immediately. I figured I'd had a brief career as a writer. Uh, and then, four years later, this old gentleman, I call him old, but he's probably was a few years younger than I am now, but he was a retired publisher, read a copy of the out-of-print co- book and said, I'm going back to publishing and I'm starting with this book. Hmm. It took him two years to get the book chains to take one copy in each store, but the word of mouth started. And we were getting letters people going, uh, this book changed my life. This book changed my life. And I was going, how? I'm, you know, I, I started asking people. And so he put a subtitle, a book that changes lives, provocative, of course. And so uh, it was passed through families and generations and still going strong today. I didn't write another book for 10 years. Mm. I had nothing new to say, so I didn't write another book. But then I wrote, see, Way of the Peaceful Warrior looked like a complete book. It had a beginning, middle, and end. But it wasn't complete. There was a page and a half where I just referred to journeys I took around the world. But I never really went into details. Mm. So 10 years later, I wrote about adventures in Hawaii in a rainforest with a Hawaiian shaman uh, teaching the underworld, uh, the subconscious. Uh, And so I wrote that book, but it took 37 years after the first book until I was ready to write The Hidden School. But both of those books are slices, expanded slices of the first book. So now it's finally complete and I can rest for a little while. <laughs> You're done with that series now. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so what is The Hidden School about then? Well, 
we all know intuitively the hidden school is right in front of us. It's right here when we're paying attention. Many people have heard that saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Become sort of a cliche, but what I think it means when the student is ready, any of us, when we're really paying attention, the, the teacher appears everywhere. Hmm. Small incidents in life that happen can turn us around. And I know you've had that experience course, as well. Yeah. So have I, and many of your listeners, I expect. So that's what, what it really means. So the hidden school is everywhere, but I had to search. What's the biggest challenge for you in your life right now since completing this book? Well, where two, are you at in your stage? My edge. I have two edges right now in my personal life. One, professionally, I'd like to be able to express what I have to say in fewer words, not to take too much of people's time and get right to the point. Sometimes I do a warm-up. Uh, right. James Michener, the writer, once said, it takes me 20 pages just to say hello. <laughs> right. So that's one thing. Uh, I love quotations because they have power. Um, a favorite quote, for example, by Mark Twain was, I've had many troubles in my life, most of which never happened. And people go, wow, that's true for me too. Because most of our troubles are in the past, future, in our imagination. They don't actually happen to us. Mm. So quotes are reminders. And that's, that's what I try to do through my writings and speaking, yeah. is remind people of what they already know, but they tend to forget. Mm. What's your biggest trouble right now that hasn't happened? Probably. Well, it, it has. It's, I think the biggest challenge is with my family. When people are intimate. You know, they say you always hurt the ones you love. Well, it's not a matter of hurting them. I mean, we, uh, traditionally speaking, we get along very well. Yeah. But um, it's... Having a really good rapport with my daughters, grandkids are great. You know, I've got little grandkids and they climb all over me. Yeah, yeah. But um, actually, I found I could get along with my daughters really well, even through the teenage years, but unless I said something insensitive or stupid like, hello. <laughs> uh, um, so it's, it's been a continuing challenge. Really? Uh, and How that's, that's the arena. Uh, my daughters are 49, 37, and 35. Wow. So and it's challenging to understand daughters. I'm not a, a father yet, so yeah, you're going to have yeah. to educate me, but yeah. it's challenging to. Well, it can be. It mm. can be. Uh, every relationship is different. Uh, and I, I don't want to give the impression we have a bad relationship. We have a very good one, mm -hmm. but still I, uh, with families, it's more challenging. Ram Das used to say, you think you're enlightened? Go visit your parents. Yeah. You know? You get frustrated as hell, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So within families, that's, mm. that's a cauldron of growth. What, why are we so triggered by the people we love the most? We're vulnerable to them. We care about what they think. And they care about what we think. We, someone else can say something and we just brush it off. You know, it, it slips off our back. But when a family member, a father, a mother says something to a child... Uh, they can remember it for years and you never know. So you can't make casual comments without really mm. understanding where they are. So that's been a challenge for me uh, yeah. in my own life. How and, do we, how do we heal those relationships, those triggers that affect us so much? <laughs> well, if I knew I'd do it, <laughs> right. you know, people have asked me, I've written 17 books and you know, everyday enlightenment, no ordinary moments and the, about the 12 gateways to personal growth and so on. And people say, well, Dan, have you mastered, all that you write about? And the answer clearly is no, but I'm sincerely practicing. And that's all I can ask of anybody. Mm -hmm. And if you looked, if you observed me, I think you'd find him a good example. Perfect, no, but good example, yes. Mm -hmm. Albert Schweitzer once said, in influencing other people, example is not the main thing. 
it's the only thing. Hmm. And so I just do my best to be a good example. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that's what I continue to do. Yeah. What do you think is missing in your life the most right now? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know, as people come up to me a lot and, and ask me, they say, Dan, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, but I haven't reached my potential yet. Uh-huh. And I want to ask or suggest, maybe you already have. Maybe last week was your high point. And then what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Enjoy life? Right. Continue to evolve? Relax a little bit? Because it's crazy making that we never reach our potential. Whatever it is, we've got to do 100%. Well, there's a point at which, I mean, I, I really appreciate the title of your first book, The School of Greatness. It really calls people to their best. If I would ever start a school, I'd probably call it the school of goodness. I don't aspire quite that high. Um, or if I were to start a church, I might call it the Born Yesterday Church of Occasional Clarity. Hmm. It has a certain ring to it. Yeah, yeah. So or you'd start the hidden school. Or the hidden school. And each of us has our own hidden school. I believe that very sincerely. Our lives are like, uh, daily life is a form of spiritual weight training. You don't lift any weights, you don't get stronger. Mm-hmm. And so I often ask people in audiences when I speak to groups, raise your hand if you've ever experienced physical, emotional, or mental pain in your life. Of course, all the hands go up. And I in- invite people to disagree with me because if we agree on everything, only one of us is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope we can agree on this, and I think your listeners will relate. Any pain, any difficulty, adversity, challenge we've had in our life, because of that, I think we're a little bit stronger now, mm-hmm. a little bit wiser, and maybe even more compassionate. We, we know what the big stuff is, and we know what the little stuff is. So it lends perspective. We don't have to welcome adversity. Right. We don't have to look for it. I shattered my right femur, my right thigh bone in 40 pieces in a motorcycle crash when I was a young man uh, here in Los Angeles. Um, And if that hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't be sitting with you here now. Uh, It shook me up. You know, I started asking bigger questions. You can relate. Mm -hmm. It changed the course of my life. However, I want to be really clear. I don't recommend fractures as a method of personal or spiritual growth. Yeah. There are other ways. Yes. Daily life, it's called. Right. <laughs> it's just waking up and walking around and saying hi to people. Yeah. People will swear at you just walking and driving in a car. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. And, and, and the idea of waking up, uh, many people know we all dream at night. We remember them sometimes. We don't remember dreams sometimes. But you, one can develop the capacity uh, of lucid dreaming. And there are techniques and books on that where one can actually learn to wake up within the dream. One technique for doing that, it's quite interesting, is you get in the habit in your everyday life to ask yourself, am I dreaming now? And then 20 minutes later, or 10 minutes later, or half an hour later, am I dreaming now? Am I dreaming now? We get in the habit of asking that question. So it will, a time will come when we're actually dreaming, and we'll remember to say, am I dreaming now? And when you ask that, you'll go, I am. Mm. And you wake up within the dream. And when that happens, the dream no longer just happens to you. You're not at its affect. You can begin to play in the dream. You want to fly? Take off. If there's a monster, turn it into a flower. Do whatever you like because you're awake within the dream. The significance of that is that we can practice lucid waking because in all the spiritual traditions, there's a saying that this life right now is something like a dream. 
That's why it's good to ask ourselves, am I dreaming right now? Mm. Because we can wake up within this dream too, in a particular way. And if I can indulge it, there's a brief story about a wanderer in the forest centuries ago who came upon the Buddha. And, and there was something about this serene man walking through the woods that fascinated this wanderer. And he finally got enough nerve to walk up and walk alongside the Buddha. And he said, excuse me, because uh, he didn't know who he was. He said, are you a, a wizard? And the Buddha said, no, I'm not. And he said, well, are you a, a great warrior or a king? And Buddha said, no. And he said, but what is it then that makes you different from anyone I've ever met? And the Buddha smiled and said, oh, he said, I'm awake. Is it possible that in some sense we're all sleeping now, mm. making meanings and associations and projections of our life as it unfolds and complicating our life, where there's a way to awake within it and suddenly life becomes very simple. We live in the eternal present and mm. one thing happens after the next. Because how many of us wake up in the morning, you know, I have 16 things to do today. Yeah, a lot. But... We only have to do one thing when we wake up, open our eyes, put our feet on the ground, take a step. See, my life is busy, yours is too. But life can become very simple when we recognize we can only do one thing at a time. Even if we're juggling, even if we're fighting multiple opponents in martial arts training, we only do one thing at a time. And the more we bring our attention to that, the more simple life becomes. Just focusing on this one thing. Hmm. Well, I feel like I was in a dream right there, just listening to your voice. What's the question you think we should all be asking every single every single day to ourselves? Well, I asked a question last night of a group of people I was speaking to, and they asked each other the question for a few minutes. And the question was, "What is the good life to you?" Because often people don't really consider consciously and directly, what is the good life? Um, we see friends on Facebook and everybody's showing what a good life they have. Uh -huh. I see people walking down the streets of New York City holding their chai latte and going to work and they're doing their best to live the good life, at least as good as everybody else and everybody's showing their best face on Facebook. We all desperately want to live the good life. You know, it seems to me and this is one of the basic premises that I teach in this approach to living, I call the peaceful warrior's way, is that there's no best book, teacher, philosophy, religion, martial art, sport, diet, yoga. There's no best. There's only the best for each of us at a given time of our life. Mm -hmm. Life is an experiment. We have to find out what works for us. And we... We have to stop comparing ourselves to other people. Mm -hmm. The Buddhists say that comparison is a form of suffering. It's a profound disrespect to ourselves instead of acknowledging our process. You know, I've taught gymnastics for, when I was a young coach and so on for years. And some people take longer to learn a skill than others. But those who take longer often learn it better than those who learn it quicker. Really? Yeah. So we have to start respecting our own process. You know, when we were babies... Every one of us stood up and sat down, stood up, shook a little bit, and sat down again when we were first learning to stand. Mm -hmm. We didn't fall down and go, but the baby across the street's learning this a lot better. <laughs> right. No, only adults do that. Yeah. And so we're all desperately trying to find the good life. But just as there's no best one thing for everybody, 
There is no best good life. Each of us has to realize we are living our own best good life right now, despite mm. the adversity, despite the challenges. Yeah. The opportunity to live a human life on planet Earth is extremely rare. It's pretty powerful. Yeah. Is there any question that you haven't answered yourself yet? I don't know, because it probably hasn't come up. I do have a way of asking questions. It's like a gift or a blessing, and the answers come. Really? For example, I was on a book tour for one of my books, Life You Were Born to Live, and it deals with numbers and people's lives and their life path. But I, I wanted people to know my teaching had a broader scope. So I asked myself, well, wait a minute, this is just one small piece. And I said, what is personal growth? What does it mean, personal development, spiritual growth? And the answers came so quickly. I, started, I wrote them down, and they came out to 12 courses in the School of Life that every one of us is enrolled in. 12 courses we have to graduate from in order to achieve any kind of personal mastery in life. And I'll just recite them as a list if, yeah, if your listeners ahead, are please. curious. What are these 12 courses we're all yeah. taking? But before I do, I have a great story. Um, I used to have this recurring dream years after I went to college. And the dream, some other people, you may have had this too, and many people have had this or similar dream, where I just realized I have a really important exam to take, but I forgot to go to the class. I forgot I'd enrolled in the course. Mm. And so I have to take this exam, but I never went to class. Many of your listeners, I think, will go, oh, yeah, I've had a dream like that. The irony is, the reason I bring it up is because that's how we live. We have tests every day, exams, and we don't know what courses we signed up for. <laughs> right. So I'm about to share what those courses are. Awesome. First, to discover our worth. That, that is our innate worth. It's not about being entitled. It just means our, our, respecting ourselves. Our innate worth is human beings. If we don't, we end up sabotaging ourselves. You know, things get too good and we go, oh, that's enough. And we we'd say or do something. Money burns a hole in our pocket and so on. Right. So it's a source of self-sabotage. Many addictions, low self-worth. It's different from self-esteem, which is just feeling good about ourselves. Self-worth answers the question, how good of a person am I? How, how deserving am I of life's blessings? And if we're afflicted in that area and limited, whatever we do, whatever technique we learn, books we read, we still get in our own way. So that's the first. The second is reclaiming our will, which is about turning what we know into what we actually do. Mm. Isn't that a challenge? You know, people are looking to find motivation. Now, I'm not a motivational speaker. In fact, somebody came up to me once and said, Dan, I feel kind of inspired. I said, don't worry, it'll pass. <laughs> right. You know, because in, inspiration passes, yeah. motivation comes and goes. I try to sow seeds. So turning what we, knew, what we know into what we actually do is, is one of the major challenges for all of us. Right. Because a lot of us have the information on how to live a healthier life, sure. but we don't apply it exactly. and take action consistently. Exactly. So that's the second course we're enrolled in. The third is energizing our body. Because, and you seem to have a lot of energy, and that's, that's really a blessing because yeah. um, it enhances every human capacity. If somebody's really strong, but they have no energy, they're not very effectively strong. Mm -hmm. uh, people have more charisma, more presence, more healing ability, all that with more energy. And there was a man who was seeking energy everywhere. He drank the magic green powders and the supplements and did everything to get more energy, but nothing seemed to work for him. And one day he climbed a sacred mountain and he reached up to the heavens and he said, fill me full of light. I'm ready, energy. 
and a voice thundered down from the heavens, or maybe in his own mind. And it said, I'm always filling you, but you keep leaking. And that's our human condition. We're surrounded by spirit, by beauty, by inspiration, in some sense every day. The weatherman doesn't come on and say, 20% chance of rain, 30% spirit out today. Hmm. But we're often preoccupied. What am I going to do about my relationship, my career, my finances? Um, so we don't have the eyes of a child. We don't have the free attention to look around and notice the beauty of a tree. Hmm. Once in a while, we have these peak experiences, these moments. So energy, that's the key. And to plug up these leaks, to reduce the tension we do things with. So that's the first leak, extra tension. And that's a real practice in life, mm -hmm. learning to relax more. And the second leak is inhibited breathing. It can be valuable to deliberately hold our breath for periods of time as part of physical training mm -hmm. in yoga. Uh, and there are exercises where you hold the breath. Sure. Um, but what we don't want to do is unconsciously hold the breath. When somebody's taking a selfie, they're holding their breath. Often when they're sitting down or standing up or pouring liquid into a glass. We hold our breath many times during the day and wonder why we feel tired. So learning to breathe like a pendulum fully mm -hmm. and just remembering to breathe. A, a young man came up to me once and said, Dan, I know you do consultations with people, but you charge a lot of money. And mm -hmm. he said, I'm a poor college student. I only have a dollar. What can you tell me for a dollar? And I told him six words that could change the course of his life if he practiced them. Here and now. Breathe and relax. And that's a lifetime practice. Mm -hmm. And it really can enhance anything we do in any aspect of life, from making love to doing sports. Here and now, breathe and relax. Mm. So I'll go on very quickly because that's course, a long yeah, list. After energize the body, manage your money. Need I say more? Mm -hmm. uh, tame the mind. Tame the mind. Tame the mind. And I have a different approaches for that. Uh, trust our intuition. Because most of us are trained to trust just logic, reason. But sometimes we make a reasonable decision and the next morning we wake up with a weird feeling. So we have to listen also to the, that still voice inside. Mm -hmm. And the next is accept our emotions. Major part of life. And finally, well, then we go into face our fears. You know, self-doubt, insecurity, all that stuff. And illuminate our shadow which is really all about self-knowledge, seeing ourselves and accepting ourselves realistically instead of a gloss of persona, mm. becoming authentic. It's really yeah. about that, yeah. being real. And then uh, embrace our sexuality. You can't ignore that in personal growth, right. how we channel our energy in that way. Uh, awakening the heart and finally serving our world, finding a way, as you have, when you stopped being a performer in sports, you found a way to serve other people. Right. Uh, and so serving our world is a way we connect with people mm -hmm. in a meaningful way. Even people who are independently wealthy, they need a way to serve and to make a difference in the world. So those are the courses now your listeners know. And this is not a burden. It is not something we have to add to our life, all these 12 areas. They're part of our life. We're, we've all been enrolled in the course. Whether we like it or not. Whether yeah. we like it or not. It's happening, yes. That's what comprises yeah. personal growth and everyday life. Yeah, I love those. I, I'm glad to hear. I didn't know what those 12 were before, but I'm glad to know that your last one, the service, is the last chapter in the School of Greatness. Is Beautiful. If you want to live a great life, you've got to be willing to give back uh, and be of service to the world, whether it be your family, community, you know, 
country, the world, however however much you can impact. Exactly. It's all about that. If it's just for ourselves, it's kind of unfulfilling, right? I was so much into self-improvement. Maybe you were too. You know, I, I took memory courses, speed reading and gymnastics and juggling and martial arts. And uh, one day I realized no matter how much I improved myself, only one person benefited. But there was something about if I could influence or inspire other people, the way I did as a coach in gymnastics, mm-hmm. uh, that made my life more meaningful. Yeah. And, and that's what I've been trying to do ever since. What's the greatest skill that you have, you think? I don't know that I'd call it a skill, but it's more of a calling. I just really, I feel a oneness with everybody I meet. I can t- be talking with a group of people and I think I'm talking to myself. Hmm. In a real, real sense, I am. Mm-hmm. So... I think that connection with other people. I, I'm on the subway in you know Brooklyn where I live now, and going into Manhattan, and I look around at all the people. I love to people watch. Mm, me too. I wonder what they were like when they were kids, you know, and and what they're going through. Uh, I wish I could reach out and give a hug to all your listeners, you know. I guess so. I don't want to call that a strength. It's not mm. something I work on, but it's a quality that's been really a. Uh, Again, I use that word, again, but it, like a blessing. In life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Oh, this character <laughs> called Dan Millman. Uh, I take my work, in a sense, seriously, but I don't take the character very seriously. Mm-hmm. I've seen through myself. You, know? it's, you mentioned the word ego. The ego gets a bad rap in spiritual circles. You know, if someone says you have a huge ego, we don't normally consider that a compliment. But when Freud coined the term... Ego just meant self, identity. It was neutral. But so many people in today's world, in the ancient times, they used to say, the devil made me do it, you know, when we were misbehaving in some way. Now it's the ego that made me do it. And I want to say, show me this ego. It's simply the conscious self. It's the self that learns, that grows up and learns. It's our sense of identity. We're not here to get rid of the ego. We're here to transcend it. And that's a big difference. Just, and that comes through humor, insight and humor. So I have a sense of humor about this Dan Millman guy. Yeah. Yeah. Of the 12 courses, if you could only, say you only could enroll in one to master one. Obviously, it's all of them. It's all of them. But let's say the one, is there one that's the most important that you would start with? Is it worth? Is it sexuality? Is it? it, it again, to, to respect uh, your listeners, the one most important one is going to be different for every one of them at different times, at different right, moments. Right. I'm not dodging the question. Sure, I can no, I, I can answer it in a yeah, sense. Yeah. The first three are foundations. So it, uh, we get them in all orders. You don't do them in order. Mm. They pop up. It's like whack-a-mole, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, without self-worth, you won't benefit from the, any of the others. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, reclaiming our will, turning what we know into what we do is... That's supreme. And then energizing our body. So those three form a triad, the mm-hmm. foundation. Uh, and how do we develop yeah. self-worth? We don't. Uh, it's no, there are no techniques to do it. We have to just become aware. And it's not a matter of feeling worthy. Because, you know, we feel differently. All the, Our emotions pass through us like the weather. Yeah. We feel differently moment to moment all through the day. Uh, life is a series of moments. I've never met a neurotic person, only people who have more neurotic moments. 
Sometimes they forget to be neurotic and they function pretty well. <laughs> I've never met an intelligent person, just people who have more intelligent moments. Uh, so there are moments where we feel worthy when we do something worthy. But it's recognizing this, our innate worth as a human being, respecting ourselves, treating ourselves with respect. So it's more about how we behave. And that's one of the key elements of the hidden school and this approach that I teach to living. We grew up in a world that was very psychological and very spiritually oriented. Somehow we believe, we just grew up assuming that we have to fix our insides in order to live well. That if we just have the right thoughts and the right emotions, like confidence and love and peace and happiness, confidence, then we can go out and live well. And if we just have quiet mind or positive thoughts. But I found another approach. You know, I ask audiences often, uh, please raise your hand if you've read a book on positive thinking, positive mental attitude. And many people raise their hand and I go, great. So then how many of you have only had positive thoughts of, say the last two weeks? All the hands go down and everybody kind of laughs. And I, I suggest, but if you read the book twice, you believe if you'd highlighted and done all the exercises, you too would be having just positive thoughts. But maybe that's an idealistic notion. I've been around the track. I've done many different kinds of meditation for decades. Mm -hmm. And sometimes my thoughts are positive. Sometimes they're negative. Yeah. Sometimes dreams are pleasant, sometimes unpleasant. It seems natural to me. There is a way to transcend all that. And in fact, I'm going to share with you the most controversial thing I teach. Let's hear it. I do not encourage you, Louis, or Christine, or Tiffany sitting in the back here, uh, or any of your listeners, I do not encourage you to feel grateful. Mm. I don't encourage you to feel kind or loving or peaceful or happy or confident or courageous. I just encourage you to behave that way. Mm. Now, some of your listeners might, wait a minute, Dan, that, that's a bit off-putting. You're saying feel one thing and behave a different way? Isn't that inconsistent? Isn't that inauthentic? Maybe even hypocritical. Mm. But I would ask... What if you were walking down the street and you saw a little, little baby lying in, and somebody left it in the middle of heavy traffic street, cars whipping by, and you were terrified of running out in the street, but you found yourself doing that. And you didn't think. You grabbed the baby and you ran off and you dodged the cars. So while feeling afraid, you behaved as if you were courageous. Would that be inauthentic? Would that be hypocritical? No. That would seem highly virtuous. Yeah. Of behaving with, in fact, we can only behave with courage when we're feeling afraid. Mm -hmm. So I'm suggesting we can behave with kindness when we're feeling angry. Not easy. Mm. We can behave with confidence when we're feeling shy. There is a way of liberation while we live in everyday life, not waiting for some cosmic experience, by focusing more on what we do in the moment rather than fixing our thoughts, fixing our feelings, because we have a lot less control over what we feel in any given moment mm. than what we actually do. Really? We don't have a spam filter in our head. If I were to suggest to your listeners, whatever happens in the next few seconds, don't think about a green elephant. Too late. Right. So thoughts come and thoughts go. Thoughts happen to us. They appear in our awareness. They just random, these things pop up, and sometimes they're nice thoughts, sometimes not. But if we can accept those thoughts, which is about meditation, meditation lets us get some distance from those thoughts and see them from a distance so they don't have mm -hmm. as much control or impact mm -hmm. over us. Same with feelings. We can feel 
And our feelings are important. We learn from our feelings. Uh, I'm not saying ignore feelings, but we can, while we're feeling whatever we're feeling, we can focus on what needs to be done right now. What do I need to do? Mm-hmm. What would my higher self do? If I were enlightened, if I were a kind, strong, courageous being, what would I do right now? And doing our best to do that. We'll fail many times. I fail many times. But it's a great practice. Yeah. Focusing on what we do simplifies life a lot. Absolutely, yeah. What would you say is the course that you need the most focus and attention on of the 12? Of the 12? Maybe the one you have the lowest grade in right now. Me personally. Personally, yeah. Sure. Well, it wouldn't be embrace your sexuality. In fact, even <laughs> at my age, I still have sex almost every day. Really? Almost on Monday, almost on Tuesday, almost <laughs> on Wednesday. That's a good one. I had to slip that in. That's a good one. I'm sorry about that. But, That's a good one. All right. Uh, the course I'm in, the, let's say in this moment, because, you know, life is a series of, of moments. Um, I've always had a challenge managing my money. Really? Yeah. Uh, there was a period of time where I was mastering poverty consciousness. <laughs> and I remember seeing some uh, attractive young women in their late teens or maybe early 20s getting out of a Mercedes. And I looked at them and I felt negative about them. It was so strange. I didn't know them. They might be very lovely young women, nice people. Mm-hmm. But because they appeared to have a lot of money, or maybe I was thinking, oh, they're driving their mommy or daddy's car. That it came out of nowhere. I was making an assumption. And I realized in that moment if that's how I feel about people who are well off, I'm certainly not going to attract much money. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I had these, these issues with money, you know, in movies, all the movies I saw as a young man, uh, the wealthy people were mean. Mm-hmm. You remember it's a wonderful life. That movie, that old classic, Mr. Potter who owned the bank and half the town. He was a Scrooge like character. Um, really selfish and mean and the poor people, uh, they were the salt of the earth. So to me, I grew up thinking, you know, money is the root of all evil and all that stuff. I'm sure you've had guests who mm-hmm. talk about that. But I was stuck on that. And I finally realized, you know, that uh, as, as you well know, that money is a form of energy. It makes us more of who we already are. If we're greedy, it makes us more so. If we're kind, it makes us kinder and more generous. So I, I saw through that and worked with it. But, you know, some people can walk naked into the desert and come out driving a Mercedes. And uh, I've done all right for myself. Mm-hmm. I believe a peaceful warrior, that's all of us, can make good money doing what we enjoy while serving other people. Mm-hmm. All three are important. Yeah. You still struggle with that the most of the But I, I'd say I'd say that... Uh, managing it or... Yeah. And it's related to worth as well. Really? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Self-worth, maybe ties into that so i have had over the years let's say i've had that issue yeah but yeah. Uh, right now you know it's it's good to be conscious of these things yeah of, of our different challenges of course but over time i've had difficulties with uh trusting my intuition learn to do that there were some very interesting experiences i had around that mm-hmm. uh taming the mind we all have something there's something for everybody yeah. It's called everyday life. To, to me, daily life, I, I think earth, I view earth as a divine school and daily life is our classroom. What I'm saying is daily life is guaranteed to teach us everything we need to learn eventually mm. to evolve as human beings. 
we're actually in this school together. We call it relationships. We call it physical fitness or healing. We call it managing our money, career decisions. So no one needs to read my books or anyone else's or go to any seminars in order to keep evolving. People were evolving before books and seminars. Of course. But people ask me, well, then why do you write books, Dan? Why do you teach? Because a good reminder can help people learn more from everyday life. Mm -hmm. They don't have to learn harder lessons. Right, right. Could I share another quick story? Yeah. This guy named Ralph was given a parrot for a birthday present. Beautiful bird. They live a long time. Very intelligent. How long do they live? Oh, they can live 100 years. Really? Yeah, or more. A parrot? Yeah. Huh. I could be wrong, but I, that's what I heard. Yeah. Wow. A little bird told me. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, he loved this parrot. It was a beautiful bird, but it, somebody had taught it to curse like a sailor. I mean, it really had a creative string of epithets. Um, and it embarrassed him. His mother would come over, you know, Ralph's mother, and the bird would start cursing at her. And he tried everything. He played New Age music, played Anya. You know, he, he uh, <laughs> taught him affirmations, you know, but nothing seemed to change this bird. And finally, Ralph lost his, lost his patience. And he grabbed the bird and shoved him into the freezer, shut the door, figured it would teach him a lesson. And he heard the bird cursing, muffled squawking inside, but suddenly dead silence. And he, he said, I, I didn't mean to hurt him. And he opened the freezer. And the bird named Maurice, he walked out on Ralph's arm, stood on his shoulder, and said in his ear, Ralph, I realized, I had a realization in there. Very articulate bird. <laughs> he said, I realize my behavior leaves a lot to be desired, and my language needs cleaning up. I know that now. And I vow to do better in the future. I hope you'll forgive me. Well, Ralph said, that's great. But then the bird said, but by the way, Ralph, when I was in the freezer, I noticed there was a headless chicken wrapped in plastic. Can you tell me what the chicken did wrong? So he was a smart bird. He wanted to learn the easier lesson because lessons repeat themselves until we learn them. Notice that one? Mm -hmm. And if we don't learn easy lessons, they get harder. Life throws a ping pong ball before it throws a bowling ball. Mm. So that story is just a little bit about, uh, there's a moral there. Yeah. Um, we can learn a lesson from a dream, from an incident, from a suggestion somebody makes. But uh, the more stubborn we are, uh, the more dramatic the lesson. The harder the lesson will be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's the thing you think about the most day to day right now? <sighs> I can honestly say to you, I really don't ruminate on things very much. Uh, over time as I've seen the reality of this moment and this moment, uh, I realize that there, there's no such thing as the past. What we call the past is something happening to us right now. Synapses are opening in our brain and we are having, using something we call memory. So the past is gone. Mm. It's only kept alive as this thing we have memory. And the future is our imagination. There is no future. Tomorrow never comes. It's always tomorrow. It's always five minutes from now. And then five minutes from now. You know, I had a friend who was feeling very depressed and suicidal. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, it's okay to kill yourself. Just do it tomorrow. And when you wake up the next day, just say, okay, I can do it tomorrow. Tomorrow. What we have, meanwhile, is today is this moment. 
And so as I focus more on that, look, you know the experience. When you, what, what, uh, what position did you play in football? Receiver. Receiver. Yeah. When you're running and that ball's flying and you're reaching forward, you're not thinking about breakfast tomorrow. No. It's you know, a moment. Or, yeah, or dinner, what you're going to do later. No. You're totally... Athletes, great, they gain great wisdom, but they don't know it. They're so focused on the winning and the losing and the scores. They don't realize they're learning spiritual or universal laws about process, about living in the moment the law of presence. So you can relate immediately to that. Mm -hmm. And anyone can have that experience. They can take their car keys, throw them up in the air, and reach to catch them. And when they're reaching out to catch them, they're not thinking about past or future. No. Pure awareness, present moment. Can you imagine doing that all the time? It's amazing. I was in the gym once. Doing a, I was doing a high bar routine, you know, as a gymnast. Socrates was watching me. His arms were crossed. He was the only one watching me in the gym. It was at night. And I did this really good dismount, a full-twisting double somersault. Uh, I was one of the first ever to do that. And I stuck the landing. That's a good thing. I didn't stumble or I just stuck it, boom, and stood up and went, yes. And so I figured that was a good place to end the workout. So I ripped off my sweatshirt, threw it in my workout bag, and we were walking down the hallway afterward. And he said, you know that last move you did, Dan, was really sloppy. Mm. I said, what are you talking about, Sock? It was the best dismount I did in weeks. He said, oh, I wasn't talking about the dismount. I was talking about the way you took off your sweatshirt and mm. put it in your bag. He reminded me again that there are no ordinary moments. I was, t teaching, I was treating one moment on the high bar, flying through the air, as a special moment. But the other moment, I was ordinary. And again, he reminded me that. And then he said something. I actually got into the movie a week before they started shooting this line. He said, Dan... The difference between us is you practice gymnastics. I practice everything. Mm. What would that be like for you, for me, for your listeners, to begin to practice everything they do? Walking, breathing, signing their name. How many of us try to improve signing our name? See, the difference between doing things, most of the day we do things. We do the dishes, we do our homework, we do our work. But when you practice something, you're doing it with a specific intention of improving it, getting better at it. And that pulls us into a form of absorption. You know, it's called the zone uh, and all that, many different names for it. But it pulls us into the present moment. Mm -hmm. And it's a different quality of life. You know, you sign books a lot, right? Your, mm -hmm. your books, and I do the same. My publisher once sent me two boxes of first pages, signing pages. Yep, I just four, did this. 4,000 yeah. pages. And they said, would you oh, sign these, please? 4,000? Yeah. I only had 1,000, but that took hours. <laughs> well, it took me a couple, over a couple of days. Oh, my gosh. And I took a breath, and I signed, heart, Dan. That's what I do. I draw heart. heart. That's my oh, message nice. for you. And Dan. Then I moved that page aside, took a breath, did another one. It, I it became a meditation. Mm. And I practice. I try to do each signature a little bit better than the last. And it creates a different quality of life because the quality of our moments become the quality of our life. And so the idea of practicing what we do, uh, Socrates tried for a long time to get me to do that. He asked, how are you pushing open that door, Dan? Are you breathing? And I, I was getting irritated with him all the time. But finally, I got the point. Yeah, I got the point. Hmm. Did you ever know his name? Well, I wrote another book called The Journeys of Socrates. It starts in 1872 in Russia. So his name, uh, he grew up in Russia in a 
military school as a young boy and so on. It tells the whole story of his life. Mm -hmm. Great adversity in his life. I grew up a middle-class kid in L.A. in the 60s, you know? <laughs> but his life was really tough. Yeah. And uh, his name was Sergei Ivanov, or Ivanov. Uh, but he didn't tell me for a long time. Really? Yeah. How long did you know him for? That's paradoxical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because he became the archetypal mentor. You know, King Arthur had Merlin, the magician. Uh, Daniel-san had Miyagi, in yes. the Karate Kid. Um, Frodo had Gandalf. I mean, there are these archetypal stories of the, the mentor, the mm -hmm. wise mentor, and the, and the bumbling young student. And so, and, and Car Carlos Castaneda, you know, he had the Brujo Don Juan. So, Socrates became the archetypal teacher. And many people say, Dan, I wish I read your book and I wish I had a Socrates in my life. I go, you do. I wrote my book so I could share my mm -hmm. teachers so they could be part of your life and I could be part of your lineage. And it's wonderful. We're, we're part of each other's lineage. Mm -hmm. Each of us who interact with each other, we, we influence people and we teach them in that way. I believe we're all teachers and all students. Uh, I was mentioning before our, our talk here that Albert Schweitzer said in influencing other people, Example is not the main thing. It's the only thing. So mm. that is how we teach. Many of us think, oh, nobody's paying attention to me. Yes, they are. Our peers, our colleagues, people on the street. You know, after our session, I'm going to be walking down the street later, and if I see a piece of litter on the ground, I might just pick it up and toss it in a can. Um, mm. So I can't know the impact of my words, but I do know when I leave L.A., it's going to be a little cleaner. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Little things can make a big difference like that. Mm -hmm. Somebody might see that and they might pick up some litter sometime. Yeah. And I think that's how we have the major impact on people. Yeah. Yeah. If there was only one lesson you could share from Socrates, what's the most meaningful for you? Well, it might have something to do with trust. Um, we second guess ourselves so many times. Could have, should have, would have. Uh, we could have done this, regrets, and so on. And in this sense, we, it, we're not trusting the process of our life. That everything that's happened to us has been for our highest good in learning. That is the, that's how I would define faith, F-A-I-T-H. It's not about believing something. It's about the courage to live as if mm. everything that happens is for our highest good in learning. So it has to do with that sense of trusting our process, that, that we think we've lost the path. Maybe you felt like that at a point in your career. Mm -hmm. But wherever we step, the path appears, uh, even if it doesn't feel like it, and to continue to move on, to move on. Um, but mm -hmm. there, is, there is one story. Uh, Houston Smith, he's an elder wise man. He wrote a book called World Religion. And he had a friend called Aldous Huxley who wrote a book called Brave New World. And Professor Huxley, among his peers, was... He had traveled the world intensely studying every spiritual tradition around the world. And when he was in hospice care before his death, his friend uh, Houston asked him, Aldous, is there any way you can summarize everything you've ever learned? Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm a little embarrassed to say that I can probably summarize it in about six words. Try to be a little kinder. And it's possible that it all comes down to that. Hmm for each of us in our own family, 
in our own life to do our best to be a little kinder, to make a little bit of a difference, a kind word now and then, a bit of service for someone else. Uh, so I'm still working on that one. Being kinder. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do you get triggered easily in the world in general outside of family? No, I have other issues. I don't get triggered. I tend <laughs> what are, to, tend what are to the stone, issues? stonewall. You know, my, my wife. You know, it took me 25 years to realize my wife was not criticizing me. She was improving me. Oh. <laughs> Sometimes rather enthusiastically. And when she is, was, her face was close to mine and she was improving me. Um, sometimes I do the typical guy thing and I'll cross my arms, break off eye contact, you know, and stonewall. Uh, but once in a while I rise to the occasion and I keep eye contact with her. I listen, I take it in. And I even, when she's done, I thank her for what she said. And I say, I'm going to really you know, think about this. And is there anything you'd like to add? I've actually done that. Wow. Um, so we all have good moments and lesser moments. So I think even those practicing in your school of greatness, I think uh, they have great moments and other moments less so, like I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're all in this together. We're all practicing together on yeah. this, in this school. Yeah. Who's the second greatest teacher in your life? Socrates, the man I call Socrates, the greatest teacher in my life. After 43 years of marriage, I would have to say is my wife. Mm. Yeah. What's the greatest lesson she's taught you? She still is teaching me just to, <laughs> she, she's a, a reminder uh, to work at my edge, whatever it is that's most difficult for me. Uh, and again, as I indicated to you, and to be willing to lose face. Uh, you know, Socrates once said, we're all fools, just that some of us know it, some of us don't. To be willing to, to be foolish and appear foolish. And I, I'd say that that would be it. Mm. You ask some challenging questions, and I've given you the most honest answers I can. I like them. Yeah, yeah it's great. People going through transition in their life, mm -hmm. going through a dark time, a challenging time, an uncertain time, what feedback or suggestions do you have for them? Maybe financial crisis, maybe physical challenges, maybe career, right. relationship challenges where what was once certain is now not. Well, Alan Watts, who was a great teacher, he wrote a book called The Wisdom of Insecurity um, because we all go through those kinds of moments and we all know you have to let go to, of one side of the pool to swim to the other side. But we don't like to let go. We like that security, that sense. Um, you know, it's said that spirit comforts the disturbed and disturbs the comfortable. When our lives are, are, uh, are in difficulty, we're looking for change. Usually it's change out there, something different. But when life is going great, we don't want change. Life comes at us in waves of change. We can neither predict nor control, but we can learn to surf. To surf? To surf, S-U-R-F. We can surf those waves. That is a fundamental life skill to accept and make it over our way. Any good martial artist knows you can't always fight force with force. You get out of the way, you use the energy, and we use it to lift. Again, daily life, spiritual weight training. You don't lift weights, you don't get stronger. Mm -hmm. So to remember that, to hold to that thread, that in those moments, all right, another quick story. When I turned 60, 
which was 11 years ago, I decided I'd learn to ride a unicycle. Anybody who's tried that knows it's humbling. <laughs> it's <laughs> really tough. I'd yes. get on and whoosh, out from under me. I'd get on, yeah. out from under me. And, it, and I went out to a tennis court. A friend of mine loaned me his unicycle and told me, go around the court, hold on, get a death grip on the chain link fence. And I was holding on to it, trying to ride this thing. It took me about an hour and a half to go around. And at the end of the first week of practice, I came back every day. I could careen forward uh, for about six pedals. The second week, 12 pedals. The end of the third week, I could do figure eights around the tennis court. Wow. And I never, at the start, I said, this just isn't for me. I can't do this. I'm just not capable of it. But I kept at it. And even though I'd learned some of this in gymnastics years mm -hmm. before, because I failed 50 times a day in yeah, the yeah. gym, um, I learned two things from this. One, everything is difficult until it becomes easy. But the most important thing, and this is the response to your question, that there were a couple of days in those three weeks, everything fell apart. I felt dumber, less coordinated. I was worse than I was three days before that. Mm -hmm. I was mentally confused, physically confused. I didn't know what I was doing. But I came to realize, because the day after that, usually, I had a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. You know that of from course, your own training. Of course, yeah. And I think those crisis times, those times of difficulty, are really the learning times. It's going from front brain to the back brain. That's when the learning is happening, but we're making that shift. That's why the confusion happens. Like learning to drive a gear shift car. You know, at first you have to think about it a lot. So it's important to trust that process of not knowing what you're doing and leap into the void. And I know it's easy for me to say, but we've all been through it. And to trust that path. Um, by the way, I did write a book specifically for people going through transitions. Mm. It's called The Four Purposes of Life. Wow. We may have spoken with that. I'm not yeah. sure which book we spoke about. Yeah. But it goes into the four purposes we're all working on. Yeah. And it's good for anyone in a transition time. That's cool. I guess I'm supposed to promote The Hidden School. It's my latest book. But, you know. All your books are great. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Thank you. That's cool. Hmm. Mm. This has been fun. I'm curious. What else I want to ask you, though? For someone, I'm 34. You're 71, right? Yes. Um, I'm curious, and you're in amazing shape. At least you look like it. I don't know. Maybe there's something else going on, but you look like you're in great shape. Doing okay. Amazing energy, posture, alignment. Obviously, you had a couple surgeries, but other than that, got great great shape. Thanks. What, is, what advice about health would you give to someone my age or in their 20s, 30s, and 40s about what's to come? If yeah. you could go back to my age, how would you set up your day in your life knowing what's to come? Yeah. You know that saying, somebody said, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I would have, I would have treated myself better. I yeah. <laughs> um, we know that genetics are tendency. If we have long-lived parents, we tend to live longer. But there's wiggle room because there are these triggers. We can turn off a gene or turn it on. Uh, whatever that is, good or bad thing, by our lifestyle. And, mm -hmm. we, and people sometimes come up to me ask, saying, I have a spiritual problem, I have an emotional problem. But I ask them three questions. Are you getting regular moderate exercise? Second question, are you eating a balanced diet for you? Third question, are you getting enough rest? Because we tend to be sleep deprived. And we, we, you, know, you know the research on that. Mm -hmm. And notice when I said regular moderate exercise, I didn't say the latest slow motion, Pilates, this system, that system. Are you um, moving your body? Are you moving around? The body's meant to move and stretch and do some strength and so on. Um, older people need more 
exercise in younger people, just different kinds of exercise. So moderate, balanced exercise almost every day. And for those who don't do that, who know it would be good for them, who don't, um, I recommend they get up tomorrow morning and do one jumping jack. And the next morning, one jumping jack. And the next morning, one jumping jack. After 30 days, if someone says, do you have a regular exercise routine? They can say, yes, I do. Now, people laugh. They say, that's not going to give you aerobic capacity or set, train your set point or anything. But it's got a foot in the door. Mm -hmm. It's based on the principle, a little of something is better than a lot of nothing. Simple is powerful because we're more likely to do it. So rather than grandiose resolutions, start small. Dream big. Dream big, but start small, then connect the dots. Mm -hmm. That's how we turn what we know into what we actually do. That small start. Gesture in the right direction. And a balanced diet. I didn't say vegetarian, vegan, raw food, gluten-free, paleo, all the systems. I don't believe in imposing a philosophy on our body. It's really just about finding out what works for us, what gives us more energy, and continuing to experiment until we settle into a diet that's balanced for us, mm -hmm. eating a little more of what's good for us, a little less of what's not. Yeah. And the third thing is, again, getting enough rest over time. Some nights we stay up, we have a lot of work to do, but over time, getting enough rest. When we do those three things, with all the gourmet challenges and systems and sophisticated approaches to health and wellness, really comes down to those three things. If we do those, we're likely to optimize our own genetic potential mm -hmm. and live a balanced life. And those so-called emotional and spiritual issues tend to fade and go away. Right. And we're better able to face the real challenges of everyday life. So small. Dream big. Start small. Mm -hmm. Who's been a big influence uh, in your life in terms of this space? Other authors, speakers, seminar leaders, who, who do you feel like has done a really great job at delivering a similar message in this space that you're like, wow, I really appreciate his writing or her speech or her, whatever it may be? <sighs> Was there anyone that you do admire in the space? or The reason I'm kind of holding back from that mm -hmm. is I'm, next year I start my final book. It's kind of probably going to be the last book I write. How many know. years have you been saying that? Oh, no, I haven't. No, <laughs> really? I, really? I, yeah, I could be wrong. You yeah, can yeah. always be wrong. But I, I really do believe that it'll complete my work. 18th wow. book, and it's going to be a memoir. And it's going to be about the four primary mentors who've most influenced my life and work. Um, I will say this. One I call the professor. One I call the guru. One I call the warrior priest. And the fourth, the sage. Uh, these are other than Socrates. Wow. They influenced his character when, by the time I wrote the book. Um, so but, you haven't shared these yet? No, so I'm, I'm You're kind of holding back on that. Cool, all right. Yeah, but they will, that will come out. That's yet to come. Can you share one that's not in those four that you're just like, wow, I really respect or admire them? Yes, uh, and yet it's not really well-known speakers or uh -huh. teachers or writers. Uh -huh. I mean, I've been influenced by books. I, sure. I love fiction books like Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, uh -huh. you know, epic fantasy, but the Spiritual Search, my favorite movie is Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. It's a great Love movie. That movie. It's a great movie. Um, and, and, but it's people from everyday life. When I see someone do something that I admire, uh, those close to me, my wife and daughters, mm -hmm. I become quite a feminist. I really can see the yeah. challenges for uh, women today uh, as well as men. Yeah. Uh, so I take my role models on the subway. That's where I see them. Mm. And in the streets of New York, 
and here. That's cool. Sitting across from one now. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. Uh, this is uh, one of the final questions. I don't know if I asked you this last time, which you were on in June of 2015. So I can't remember if I asked this or afterwards. It's called The Three Truths. Huh. And uh, let's imagine you've written your last book and maybe you've written more or you've done any, anything else you want to do for the rest of your life. You make it happen. You speak all over the place. You do whatever you want to do. It happens. Accomplished. Yeah. And it's the last day many years from now. Uh, and for whatever reason, all your work is erased. So all the books, content, gone. But you have a piece of paper and a pen by your bed just before you're about to take your last breath. And uh, you get to write down three things you know to be true about everything in your life that you've experienced. And this is the only thing people would have to be remembered by you are these three truths. Do you know what you'd say are yours? You have a pencil paper handy? <laughs> all right, <laughs> well, let me see. Let me see. Um <laughs> Yes, I would write down paradox, humor, and change. My old mentor Socrates gave me a business card many years ago, and those were the three words on it. <laughs> paradox, humor, and change. Humor meaning cosmic humor, not just laughing at jokes, but not taking ourselves so seriously in our life. Uh, change, we talked about a bit earlier, uh, that uh, is a constant. You know, the Buddha said, all that begins also ends. Make peace with that, and all will be well. Mm. So change is... The, and if we can learn to flow with change, that's a huge, huge life skill. But paradox may be the key. In fact, in the hidden school, I'm going to bring it back to that. Paradox is two apparently opposing statements that are both true. Uh, for example, and actually it's a key to reconcile some of the major questions before humanity. The big questions of philosophy. Does free will exist? Um, does time exist? Are we all one or are we separate beings? Is death real or an illusion? These are big questions mm -hmm. that underlie everything else in our lives. But without understanding that, there's no real foundation in our life. We wander around uh, doing the best we can in relationships and everything else. So paradox is a key to help reconcile these questions because I can really state this. Um, does time exist? Yes. Is time an illusion? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is free will real? Do we have free will? Yes. Is free will an illusion? Yes. Are we separate beings? Yes. Are we all one? Absolutely. Is death real? For sure. Is death an illusion? Clearly. How can I say that? Well, I go into that in The Hidden School. Mm. There's a book within the book, and it goes into some of these fundamental questions that underlie all of our lives that many people don't even think about because we're dealing with the challenges of everyday life. Mm -hmm. But I think it was time to write that, and that's why I waited 37 years. It's wow. like an advanced training. Mm. Make sure you guys get the book, The Hidden School, Return of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. Guys, check it out. Uh, DanMillman.com. PeacefulWarrior.com. PeacefulWarrior.com. Either one. PeacefulWarrior, DanMillman.com. Yeah. Are you on social media as well? I'm on Facebook. and Facebook. I, I send out quotes every week, favorite quotations. Sure, yeah, sure. Awesome. Dan Millman on Facebook, everywhere on social media. Yeah. Or Peaceful Warrior. Yeah, people can find me. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, 
before I ask the final question, I want to acknowledge you, Dan, for the incredible impact you've made on my life and so many people's lives with your wisdom and your constant search for meaning and understanding of how to live this crazy life that we're all in. So I want to acknowledge you for the gifts that you have and for all that you do for so many people. It's amazing. Thank you, Lewis. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge you back. Okay. Really. Yeah. You're doing some great work. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, And the final question is, what's your definition of greatness? The word that came up for me? Everyone. They just haven't all awakened to that yet. It's not about achievement or how good a publicist you have or if you get in the media, get famous. There's a real heroism, and I don't cheapen the word. There's a courage in every human being. We all bring it out at times. So Mm. that's what comes up for me when I think of greatness. Dan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Ooh, I love this one, guys. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, it's all about the spiritual weight training and becoming a peaceful warrior. We all need more of this in our lives with the constant stresses and adversities and challenges that come up. How we respond to these moments every single day, how we respond defines us. If we respond out of fear and anger and scarcity, it defines the results in our life and it defines our inner peace and our inner well-being. But if we respond with love and compassion and grace and wanting to connect with humanity and lifting other people up, well, then it defines our results as well. And it definitely defines our inner peace in that process. So if you enjoyed this, make sure to take a screenshot of this right now on your phone, post it to your Instagram story, to your Instagram page, to Twitter, Facebook, and use the link lewishouse.com slash 554. The full show notes, all the things we talked about, the resources, the full video, is over there as well where you can watch us in the flesh. That's right. And make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Guys, we have so much amazing video interview content and other behind-the-scenes videos that you can't see anywhere else. So go become a subscriber over on YouTube. And of course, make sure to pre-order a copy of the book, The Mask of Masculinity. Guys, if you haven't got your copy yet, at least go to maskofmasculinity.com and look to see what it's all about, all the raving reviews, how important it is for men, how important it is for women to dive into this topic and learn more. Guys, check it out, maskofmasculinity.com. Such a powerful episode. It's all about the spiritual weight training. A warrior does not give up what he loves. He finds the love in what he does. I hope you guys enjoyed this one, and you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Great.